I'll be reading for scripture uh, one verse, uh, chapter uh, 6 of John, number 63, verse 63. It is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. Um, I'm talking about spirituality today. And spirituality is puzzling. It's a mystery. It's something that can be understood only through experiencing it. Uh, Our mental minds are troubled by this word spirituality. It's a hard thing to get into our minds. In the third chapter of the Gospel of John, we find this story that we're all familiar with of a important rabbi that came to Jesus in the dark of the night to discuss spiritual things with Jesus. And uh, he hardly gets a chance to open up his mouth, as you remember the story. The two of them, somewhere in a garden, undisclosed, there to meet, one of the few times you find a sympathetic rabbi coming to Jesus. He really is interested And he finds Jesus. Jesus gives him an audience, grants him an audience. And before the rabbi could even raise his first question, Jesus bypasses the question entirely and says something really profound. And you can read about it in chapter 3 of John. Except a man be born again, he cannot what? See the kingdom of God. You cannot even conceptualize, you cannot capture with all of your splendid human abilities made in the image of God, you cannot do this with spiritual things. You must be born again. Must be. Well, this was an interesting challenge. Nicodemus was at a loss. He was trying to figure out what is Jesus saying here? You must be born again. And he is analyzing that with what? Very limited, even though it's a splendid thing called a brain. But it just troubles him. He can't seem to be able to get through this. And so he's struggling to try to figure this out. And Jesus is trying his best Because Jesus understands what is behind our questions, what's in our heart. And he wants to answer this question because I think Nicodemus wanted to know, are you the real thing or not? And so he is coming to analyze Jesus, to make a conclusion on whether or not he can trust him based upon what Nicodemus knows. And Jesus goes right past that. You can't do this without being born again. It is an impossibility. I like this statement. The carnal mind in the Bible is what? Enmity. Repelled away from God. We're all born. Thanks to our first parents. We're all born with that. We go the wrong direction. Our conclusions are going to be in the wrong direction. 
We're not going to find the answers that really our hearts are craving for, even Nicodemus, by following that course. The fountain of the heart, we've used her name many times, Ellen White today, she says this, the fountain of the heart must be purified. The Christian life is simply not a makeover, a modification, or improvement of the old. And in reality, even though he may not have admitted it, that's really what Nicodemus was looking for. How can I be good enough? How can I serve you? Can I trust you? That kind of stuff. But it's a transformation of nature. The spirit can be brought about, excuse me, the change can be brought about only by the working of the Holy Spirit. And hence the title of the sermon today, A New Heart, A New Spirit. And I'm going to be talking to myself and to all of us today about trying to get through Christianity and be Christians apart from the Spirit. It's something that cannot be done. I like this statement. A genuine conversion. This is again from Ellen White, but the Bible supports it, and I'll give you the verse in just a moment. But she says it real plainly. A genuine conversion changes, and this is what is mind-blowing. It changes hereditary and cultivated tendencies to wrong. When God comes in and changes a person's heart and makes them reborn like he was talking to Nicodemus about, he's basically saying, I've got to remake you. And the way to remake you is by water and by the Spirit. You know, the Spirit has got to come in. You will not be able to comprehend. You will not be able to take one iota of a step down this path without the moving and power of the Holy Spirit. And a part of my message today is that we so often in so much of our lives run apart from or away from or not with the Spirit. And we don't ever make progress that way. It's impossible. The passage I was telling you about that supports what Ellen White just said, hereditary and cultivated tendencies to evil. Remember that one in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17? I love that passage. If any man be in Christ, if you are in Christ, you are a new creature. The enmity is gone. Who took that away? Years of struggling to win the victory? Who took that away? Self-control? Discipline? Who took that away? How long did it take him to do it? Instantly. He came in and took it away. Old things are passed away and all things become new. And if we know anything about you know, genealogy and our chromosomes. There are some things to a significant degree that those things control our behaviors and our thoughts. And so when all things become new, it has to go way down to that core center. What Jesus changes goes really deep. And we really do become a new person. But not on our own. It's the, and only the Holy Spirit that can do this. Amen. Only the Holy Spirit. And, that, and hence the passage, 
That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. You know that one, don't you? Jesus said that to Nicodemus just a few verses later. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Now God comes in and he does some real radical stuff. And you you folks are right. It is instantaneous. He gives us new thoughts, new intentions, new desires, new motives. Wow. That goes down to the core. Right? You expect yourself to be a little confused when you have such a radical changeover? You know, people that get changes of their face and they look in the mirror, they have to get adjusted to that new face, don't they? Takes a while. But nevertheless, it's new and it happens. And we are a little confused for a while. But nevertheless, the change takes place. For some time ago, I went through and I, I made a list of what Ellen White said, all the things that happened. And hereditary cultivated changes, the bent of life is turned, the feelings are decide, feelings decidedly changed, faculties are sanctified, uh, the heart is changed, renewed, the intellect is strengthened and invigorated. All of these things are things that are associated with being born again. This is not a slight thing. This is serious. This is big. Habits are changed. Motives changed. The conscience is awakened. And we become new. New passions, new powers. The spirit controls the mind. Even after Jesus heard or said to Nicodemus, that which is spirit is spirit, that which is flesh is flesh, he's trying to point him, you've got to look in the direction of the spirit. There is a real thing called the Holy Spirit. And only the Holy Spirit can do what you are asking to do. If you really want to believe in me, if you really want to find out who I am, there's only one person that can teach you that, and that is the Holy Spirit. Really important to know that. Well, Jesus talks about the wind. Did that clarify it up for Nicodemus? You can't see it. You can see what it does, but you can't see it. I think Nicodemus wanted something concrete. And so Jesus tries one more time. And you remember the story in John chapter 3? He tells about an incident from the Old Testament where Moses, the people had rebelled against God, and God removed the protection against all of the serpents. And suddenly the serpents were coming in and biting them. These were poisonous serpents. They were dying. A lot of people were dying. And God instructed Moses to hold up a staff and put on this staff what? A brass, a brass, brass, brazen, bronze serpent. Got it. Thank you for all that help. And he holds that up. Now, did that clarify it for Nicodemus? Would it have clarified it for you? I would have been puzzled. Wait, Jesus, I know about serpents. I know what they represent through the Bible, right? Yeah, I know it's thoroughly that's associated with whom? Satan. So are you supposed to look? What do you do? What is this all about? Why did Jesus say that? I'm going to tell you something here. The Spirit knows what it's doing. And it will take us in strange places that will appear in so many ways to be wrong. But the Spirit knows the right way to go. What's that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, just in defense of Nicodemus. This was a hard night for Nicodemus. He wanted a simple answer. 
He got a lot of confusion that night, but he got the truth. And I wish somebody would have told me the truth in a way that I could have heard this. It would have saved me from 40 years of anguish, not understanding this. I have not relied on the Holy Spirit in my life to the degree that God wants me to. I have relied with good intentions on myself. So I study the Bible and I search it out to know it on my own. And you know what? It just doesn't unlock all the wonders that's there when you look at it through your own eyes. Because we need the Holy Spirit to teach us what those words mean and how to apply them. How long could you have looked at that brass snake and never figured out what that's all about? But the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden, you've had this happen to you. A flash of insight. The Holy Spirit suddenly makes all things clear. You know? And think we that we can go through life figuring it all out on our own? We're like Nicodemus if we're trying to do that. But a lot of people down through the Bible history, holy righteous men, prophets and princes, the Bible says, and it says it throughout various many places, have learned, longed, and yearned to understand spiritual things. And the Bible even goes on to say, they've diligently searched for it with all their hearts, but it has eluded them, and it was kept from them, it was hidden, it was a secret, not then revealed. Did you hear that? They wanted to know it was hidden from them. And that's what makes it so absolutely profound that this group of people called his disciples who certainly in many ways didn't measure up to some of those holy men in the Old Testament as far as their performance. It was hidden from them but Jesus made promises to these 12. It's going to be given to you. You're going to understand these mysteries. You're going to understand the secrets. The Holy Spirit is going to come and reveal them to you. That's absolutely fantastic. I have not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered the heart of man. Oh, that's true, but when God sent his Holy Spirit, suddenly we do understand. And I am wanting all of us to begin to think about this a little bit more, maybe quite a bit more, that our lives must become more and more communion with the Holy Spirit. We've got to start trusting God to do for us with the Holy Spirit what he's promised to do. And then our lives would be different. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is a good one to read here. Saith the Lord, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours. That's Isaiah chapter 55. Spiritual things are spiritually discerned. Well, we are living in the era of the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus has put the Holy Spirit in charge of our salvation. Doing all the things that are necessary that we need. Bringing to us directly from heaven whatever the Holy Spirit is commissioned to do. 
works for Jesus in bringing about our salvation. That's why Jesus could encourage them when he left, I'm sending you something greater, something bigger, something way beyond anything you've ever, greater works you will know. Now let me just share with you how this was with his disciples. Um, they were now, when the Holy Spirit fell upon them at Pentecost, they were now recognized that they were spiritual beings, not just of the flesh. They knew they were spiritual beings. What do you think that means? That means they were never alone. Whenever they needed, the Spirit would speak to them real clearly. When they needed understanding, the Spirit gave them guidance. Whenever they were in a situation, the Holy Spirit guided them very clearly on their emotions and how to handle it. Whenever they were there, God would tell them actually what to pray for. He would tell them what to do. He told them when to move. He moved them. He did all of those things. They were given the Holy Spirit. They spoke to and by the Holy Spirit. They were directed and moved. They craved the Spirit. They prophesied. They cast out spirits. And all the things that Jesus did, those disciples did. Now, I'm going to tell you the story. I've told you this before, but I'll tell you again. This best illustrates it to my mind. Philip. I love this story. Remember, I've talked to you about it before. He was one of those that was one of the, he was ahead of one of the subgroups of the disciples. And he had been with Jesus all along. And um, he was there when Jesus... Um, uh, was uh, baptized by John the Baptist, and he heard the announcement from heaven saying, this is the Lamb of God. Went in Philip's ear. He heard it. He experienced all of the powerful things in Jesus' ministry. He was the first one to hear the command, follow me. And he followed. Um, through Christ, though Christ had been proclaimed by that voice from heaven, this is the Son of God, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Joseph. Nevertheless, uh, Philip had a very hard time accepting the reality of who Jesus really was. Um, what I, I didn't say this quite right. What I mean to say is that when Philip was introducing others, he introduced Jesus as just of Nazareth, son of Joseph, even though he had heard from heaven what he really was. Something's wrong with Philip, right? And when they were feeding the 5,000, um, Philip asked, when shall we buy bread? And Philip's response was, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient. Did Philip have faith? Every day he saw what Jesus was doing. Every day he had proof sufficient and he couldn't quite grasp it. Does this sound like a church that you might be familiar with? All our people, Christians, all through their life? Does it sound anything like that? I mean, we think, like Philip, that we're in this group. We think that we're a part of it. But everything that we do kind of betrays that it's not really true. And that's the way it was with Philip. He was that way. Although he had seen all the works, he was not yet believing and when some Greeks inquired concerning Jesus, uh, he would not seize upon the moment to tell them who Jesus was. He took them to Andrew instead. 
this guy over and over and over is betraying. Something's really wrong on the inside. Was Philip operating on Holy Spirit power? No. He wasn't. Thomas said to the Lord, uh, We know not whether thou goest. How can we know the wage? Savior answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You would think that Philip would have enough information to say, Right, you are. But Philip came with a response, Lord, show us the Father. He just was really slow. I'm going to suggest that if the Holy Spirit was really running all of our lives, life would not be anything like what it is now. I think we're just running it too much on our own. And I think we need more of the Holy Spirit, big time. We are so much like Philip. And so Philip, um, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long that thou hast not known me, Philip? He was a real doubter. After the Holy Spirit fell, what happened to Philip, this doubter? The whole world took note that all the disciples, including Philip, had been with Jesus. The Holy Spirit made the difference for this man. He didn't have faith where he should have. He was hesitant when he shouldn't have been. The Holy Spirit made up for all of his deficiencies. And I got to say, praise God. Because, you know, if we would spend more time asking for the Holy Spirit coming into our lives and guiding us, we might have an experience similar to Philip's where our lives would be changed. Totally different, and there would be power that we weren't aware of before. Ah, Philip became a teacher of the divine order. He knew whereof he spoke. That's the big significance about the Holy Spirit. And he taught with an assurance that carried conviction to his hearers. His former faults now were gone. How long did Philip have to work to get the victory over those faults? How long? How long? Instantly, when the Holy Spirit fell. What does the Holy Spirit bring to us? It helps us to have the mind of Jesus. It helps us to know God. It helps us to have an assurance. We are not in doubt anymore, are not in confusion. All of that is instantly ours when the Holy Spirit comes. It's a very powerful thing. Now think about this. Um, the Apostle Paul. Uh, like Nicodemus, he thought he was doing the right thing. And then suddenly God struck him on his road to Damascus. And suddenly Paul saw everything differently. Before, it was all of his skill of the law and his ability Afterwards, it was all about the Holy Spirit. Totally about the Holy Spirit. And I like what he said. In Galatians, he said to the Galatians, Receive ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. O ye so foolish, are ye so foolish, having been begun in the Spirit, are you now to make yourself perfect in the flesh? 
There is such a desire to fix it all our own. And I'm not talking about just spiritual issues. I'm talking about everything in our life. The Holy Spirit is willing to change all of those things. God, when he sends that Holy Spirit into our life, crying out, Abba, Father, changes everything. Our hearts are connected to Jesus. There is an instantaneous, clear connection between us and God, and he sends things to us that we need to know in our heart. We become living epistles written not in ink, but in the spirit of the living God. The letter killeth, but the spirit gives life. I'm going to go out on a limb here, not too far, because I think you're understanding what I'm saying. It's so strange that a church, Seventh-day Adventist church, it is so strange that a church that has been blessed so abundantly with spirituality through the spirit of of Ellen White. We were founded on this almost every day of her life. The workings of the Holy Spirit made her life and the church so much different. Every year, or at least every general conference session, the church affirms that she has received this heavenly gift and we affirm her as having received that gift. And then we go on and do business by our own power. For 150 years, we've been doing that. And it's not just that. Even while she was alive, the leaders of the church, while they sign on and say, this is a gift from God, this is God's spirit, we recognize it, we know it's there, and then they led the church in ways contrary to her counsel. Directly. And they were not ashamed about it. And whether it be theology, whether it be the programs of the church, whatever it may be, there's this love-hate relationship that exists in the Seventh-day Adventist church about whether the Spirit is really going to be alive and well in our midst or not. And I'm saying, I think it's about time. How many hearts have been broken? How much has been lost? When God has promised so much power to do his work, he never intended that we should do it on our own. He had to knock Saul off of a donkey to get him to pay attention. He had to absolutely stupefy Nicodemus. But he came along. And the rest of Nicodemus' life was a transformed life. And the same for Philip and the same for all the disciples. They changed the world. And it wasn't because they had just been with Jesus. It was because when the Holy Spirit came into their lives, it triggered that memory and pulled from that memory the messages that God wanted them to know from that experience. It was the Holy Spirit in the brain that manufactured the Bible and the story and the power that was associated with it. This is so amazing. Now God has thousands of ways of which we know nothing and we'll never know anything about unless we get in tune with the Holy Spirit. His arm is not too short. He's able to do whatever he wants to do. He just simply wants us to depend on him. The Holy Spirit will change our lives. It will change our hearts. It will change our church. It will change the world. If we have people, including myself, 
who are willing before we start doing anything else every day determine above all things that we're going to submit to God's Holy Spirit and expect His Spirit to speak to us and learn to know that voice and that Spirit so that we can follow it no matter what is going on around us. Not guided by others, but guided by that inner voice. God wants it to be that way. And that's the way it needs to be. The earth is falling apart. There's hatred everywhere. Our very fabric of our society is falling apart. And churches are dying. Clear across the country, Seventh-day Adventist churches are just plain dying. And they're breathing their last. And they probably will die unless they let the Holy Spirit come in. Because even if there's just one person left, they've got the Holy Spirit. That's more than sufficient. It's the Holy Spirit it's all about. And so I have been trying in the last couple of years have I been trying to do this. I've been trying to just prepare my heart so that I can hear the Spirit talking. I don't want to do anything of my own every day. I want to follow God. And I want to make sure that I listen to His voice. And it is working. The Lord just kind of speaks to me. You know how it works. It works to you too. He tells us, this is the way. You're to go. Go. This is who you need to call. You know, this is what you need to be thinking about. This is what I want you to learn from this passage, whatever it may be. It's that constant companion that Jesus promised that makes sense out of life. Today, Nathan has made a decision. And that decision is that his life is going to be guided by what we're talking about. Holy Spirit. And he wants that. And he knows that as he does that, and to the degree that he does that, his life will count for something special. It will really count. If he ever loses that, you will just pass through time and be forgotten. But when the Holy Spirit is in our lives, then... When that little grandchild of mine crawls up on G's lap and sits next to me, they're going to feel something besides just G there. They're going to know that there's something totally different just being in my presence. And that's what we all need. And when I speak, I will not be so quick to answer, you know, with my thinking. I want to my words to be guided by God's Spirit. When we are humble, then we're teachable. When we are humble, then we can be strong. We need to be humble. The Holy Spirit will change us. I'm hoping that something has, you know, peaked a little cog in our minds today. That we will, I, I, over and over again, my wife and I are thrilled by the fact that we, we're, we're part quite a bit of the time. And we talk. And almost every time we talk on the phone, we pray together. Because our lives are so much out of our control nowadays, we want them to be in God's control. And he's the one that's getting us through all of this. 
And he can make whatever chaos and emptiness is in our life, he can more than fulfill that. Think of Philip. One minute this way, Holy Spirit come, totally different. Think of our church. One moment, it looks like how can we ever do what God wants us to do? How can we ever, he wants us to do something in this town. How can we do it? Nathan's going away. How can we do it, you know? I want you to go away. I want you to go to (laughs) um, Nebraska, Lincoln. Well, we've just been talking about how that can happen. The Holy Spirit is more than sufficient to do it. Let's live in the Spirit. The flesh can never do anything. When you read the Bible, don't trust your thoughts. Let the Holy Spirit teach you what those thoughts are telling you. That's the whole difference. God has provided for everything through the Holy Spirit. May God bless us.